Craig Brewer's sequel, the 1988 comedy classic, lives in fear of besmirching its predecessor, so it does nothing new. The only aspect of the film that really strikes the right balance between the past and present is Ruth E. Carter's costume design. That's from Clarice Lowry of Independent out of the UK. Tough review there. Coming to America, which you all have seen by now. I mean, this is one of the biggest movies of the year. And once again, thanks to the entire team there for getting us Louis Anderson and Jermaine Fowler. Both those interviews were awesome. I hope you've listened to those on the most recent episodes of Cinephile. And the movie did gigantic. Fans around the world checking it out big time. Coming to America, the number one stream movie of the weekend, obviously. But the number one opening weekend of any other streaming movie in 2021 thus far. Okay, we're only a couple months in. But how about this? The number one opening weekend of any streaming movie in the past 12 months. That's post-COVID theater closure. So that's big time news. Amazon Studios collaborating with Nigerian and South African local distributors, making the film available in theaters nationwide in both of those countries. It's number one in Nigeria and West Africa, where it is the biggest March opening for a film since Black Panther in 2018. In South Africa, the film achieved the highest opening for 2021 to date, putting it currently at number one in that country. So clearly a global enterprise. In addition to that, we're going to review The Mauritanian, a film which created some buzz because Jodie Foster won the Best Supporting Actress, Golden Globe. Also stars Tahar Rahim, who is nominated for Best Actor, The Golden Globes, Shailene Woodley, Benedict Cumberbatch. And I'll be reviewing The United States versus Billie Holiday, another Golden Globe Award winner. Andre Day wins for Best Actress for her performance as Billie Holiday. Allen versus Pharaoh, I was going to do, but you know what? It's four episodes, three in the books. Let's wait till next week. So we'll push that till next week. Once all four episodes have concluded, uh, we can do a deep dive into that. Plus, Critic Choice Awards, BAFTA nominations, SAG Award news. We got a whole lot more coming up here on Cinephile. As always, thank you for checking us out. Please go to Apple Podcasts where you can subscribe, rate, and review. As always, I rank my movies out of four Maple Leafs. You can rank the podcast out of five stars. And please uh, give generously as far as the reviews are concerned. That's how we keep this thing afloat. Latest review here from Juvenile78. You're great when you infiltrate the Levitard show. Oh, thank you very much. Been listening to you and Joe for a few years. You guys, you guys are the best. That's awesome. Also from KP5797. Headline is the truth. The headline is not even a movie fan. I enjoy a good movie now and then, but I'm certainly not a frequent viewer or fanatic. Truth be told, I frequently disagree with Adnan's reviews more than I agree with them. That said, this podcast is a much listen every week. Love listening to you break down and review cinema and TV. Knowledge and passion keeps me entertained and coming back. One thing I appreciate, you talk to us like we're adults. You don't feel the need to dumb things down. Remember you on ESPN Radio? I thought you were terrific there as well. Oh, that's very, very nice. Thank you. KP5797. Yeah, we don't dumb things down here, okay? This is a highly educational, you know, this is a, a film lexicon, which I can appreciate that all of you are at the same level that I am. Because listen, we're all smart. We're all passionate. We know what we're doing. Speaking of know what we're doing, Happy birthday to my buddy Steven Nelson. Does a great job on MLB and NHL Network. And he also has the same birthday as Joe, which I just discovered here at the start of the podcast. So I don't like to cheat. Normally, I like to just test my brain, but I may have to put now on the phone March 8th is Steven Nelson and Joe's birthday. So Joe, happy birthday. Happy 31. How was it? It was good, Adnan. I had a wonderful day to myself. The weather here on the East Coast and in New York is finally starting to turn. And I, you know, last night I did a Zoom thing with family and friends. And so that was about all you can do, I think, right now. But it was a wonderful birthday. And thank you for asking. Oh, that's great, man. I'm glad. Listen, it wasn't at least nice you got to go back to St. Paul and see family and friends, obviously, in Minnesota recently. But I, I, birthdays, it's tough when you can't celebrate properly. But like I said, we Zoom, and uh, hopefully that's what we can take from now on. And you're going to go see a movie in theaters at some point. That's going to be your birthday present, right? 
Yeah, yeah. I don't know which one I will see yet. I was going to go on Sunday, but I helped a friend move on Saturday. And let me tell you, I'm definitely in my 30s now because Sunday I could not move. I got home <laughs> Saturday night. I'm like, age is just a number. I'm I, I'm in such good shape. And then the next day it just caught up with me. So I did not get to the theater, but I will be going this weekend. Haven't decided on the movie yet. You are in great shape, thin and wiry, but it is just age. Like you said, 30 plus I mean, 40-plus lower back pain starts acting up, so you're right. It's, it's all about stretching, but uh, good for you for helping your buddy move. You've had about four moves now in the last year between your moves and helping a friend move. So hopefully no more moving in your future. As we move on and focus in on coming to America, needing a male heir to the throne, Prince Akeem returns to Queens, New York to find his long-lost son and bring him back to Zamunda. Director Craig Brewer rather than John Landis. John Landis and Eddie Murphy famously falling out back in 88. Landis basically said like at the time when he first started working with Eddie Murphy, he was this young and brash and impressionable and kind and basically then said he was arrogant. Murphy just lambasted Landis back. Basically said he treated him like dirt and thought that he was the king and he was running things and arrogant and domineering, all that kind of stuff. Uh, bottom line is this. I, this is just my way of saying John Landis didn't direct this. Craig Brewer directing. We got the whole cast back to it again. The, the beautiful Sherry Headley. She doesn't age at all. James Earl Jones. Originally, Sidney Poitier was thought to maybe play that role. I mean, James Earl Jones is amazing, but Sidney Poitier as King Joffrey Joffer would have been amazing. Wesley Snipes, I thought was very funny. General Izzy. John Amos is along for the ride. Arsenio Hall. The aforementioned Louis Anderson. Leslie Jones is funny. Jermaine Fowler, who is the star of the movie and who we recently talked to in Cinephile. And the always entertaining, Tracy Morgan as Uncle Reem. Bottom line is this, though. I found the movie underwhelming. I mean, as much as I love the fact that they were so kind to us, the studio, and giving us these stars, I have high expectations. The original Coming to America is one of the funniest movies I've ever seen. Top five, top ten, sure. So when you're making a sequel 31 years later, it's tough to live up to that hype. I understand that. But to make a great sequel, you have to have, I think, an homage to the past, but also bring the story along further. And the homages to the past were wonderful. The barbershop scene, hysterical. I mean, sexual chocolate, Arsenio playing the preacher again. I mean, all that stuff's awesome. But it was awesome 31 years ago, and it's still funny. As far as the new material, Jermaine Fowler and the love interest and all that kind of stuff, I just didn't think it was as compelling. I love Jermaine, for the record. I think he's a talented actor, not only because he was gracious here in Cinefa. I think he's got star-making potential. He's funny. He's charming. He does a lot of different things. But I just didn't think the modern-day era stuff was as funny as the stuff in the past. I'm not going to say it's a sequel we don't need, because quite frankly, anytime I get to see Eddie Murphy in a movie, I'm happy. There was a stretch where he was just making family movies and quite frankly, a lot of bad movies, Adventures of Pluto Nash, et cetera. So I'm happy whenever he's making comedies and going back to his roots. But this to me is not going to be a movie that's particularly memorable, not going to see it more than once. I'm giving it two Maple Leafs, Coming to America. Joe, I know you saw it. I'm sure you loved the Dikembe Mutombo cameo. Your thoughts? <laughs> yes, I, yeah, yeah. I, I I thought it was a serviceable sequel. Kind of on, on your note, I think they played it safe, but I thought it worked. And I think the cast is what brought it together. Leslie Jones is really funny. It was good to see the original cast as well. And, you know, they're doing the barbershop scene and all that again. But I think the cast made it work, especially Jermaine Fowler as the lead because he's so personable and charismatic with it. I really liked Wesley Snipes' character, though. He was he was, he was just chewing it up. But how did, how did you feel about James Earl Jones coming in? I didn't I didn't even know he was acting. I didn't even I didn't I feel bad because I forgot that he was still alive, and that's terrible to say. But what what did you think of that? Uh, it's not terrible. It's actually pretty funny. That's like when people mention an act, dead or alive. Like ah, I think he's still alive. Um, so you're right, James Earl Jones. I was just happy to see him again because you're right. I think a lot of people will be like, wait, he's still around. I'm like yeah, he's still kicking it. I'm like okay, cool. Like it, it sounds funny, but I agree with you. In a serious note, 
we've lost so many lives over the years. 31 years there to have this many original cast members there is still pretty cool. So I'm just always able, happy to see James Earl Jones in any movie and thought he was solid. I agree. Wesley Snipes brought some good energy to the movie as General Izzy, and, and Leslie Jones definitely funny as Mary. So without that cast, it probably would have been even worse. But um, serviceable is probably the right word, like you're saying. What did you find? I'm sure you've talked to friends, family. What do they think of coming to America? I see it got mixed reviews overall. I think Rotten Tomatoes has it at 52%. You know, I talked to my friend who, the first Coming to America is his favorite movie of all time. So he he liked it when I texted him about it. But like you said, he's probably not going to watch it again. He told me after he finished it, he just watched the original again and had more fun. So yeah, I guess, I guess that's kind of the movie. You know? Yeah, I think that's going to be the general reception. It's uh, mixed to middling reviews of that. I hope there's better reviews for The Mauritanian, which is an excellent film from a director uh, Kevin McDonald, and it's a very powerful film as we go in a much, much different direction. As I mentioned up the top, Jodie Foster earning plaudits for her performance along with Tahar Rahim, 73% Rotten Tomatoes, and here's the story. Directed by Kevin McDonald, based on the New York Times bestselling memoir, Garant- Guantanamo Diary, by Mohamedou Ould Slahi. This is the inspiring true story of Slahi's fight for freedom after being detained and imprisoned without charge by the U.S. government for years Alone and afraid, Slahi finds allies in defense attorney Nancy Hollander, Jodie Foster, and her associate Terry Duncan, Shailene Woodley, who battle the U.S. government in a fight for justice that tests their commitment to the law and their clients at every turn. Their controversial advocacy, along with evidence uncovered by a formidable military prosecutor, Lieutenant Colonel Stuart Couch, Benedict Cumberbatch, uncovers shocking truths and ultimately proves that the human spirit cannot be locked up. Yep, this is one of those prison dramas where a guy's locked up. Think of In the Name of the Father. Think of The Hurricane. Been lots of great movies about a guy wrongfully imprisoned, Shawshank Redemption. And this is yet another one. And while that may seem like it's derivative in some levels, I thought the movie was compellingly acted. And that's where we begin with Tahar Rahim, who is an actor I know because he was in The Pro- a Prophet, which came out in 2009. Foreign film had a lot of uh, rave reviews. And now he's back again. He was joking, saying, you know, it's two years between prison movies for me, and I, I don't know too many of these, but this is what everyone is recognizing me for. And he's a talented actor. He's able to convey so much being in prison. The anguish, the shock, the dismay, the chances of optimism, and then the torture. And let's get this straight. The Mauritanian is not for the faint of heart. The 90-minute mark where they finally discover the treatment that he's been receiving is about as jarring as any movie you'll see in 2021. It's about a seven-minute sequence in which they're blasting heavy metal nonstop. He's getting beaten up, punched, kicked by military officers wearing masks, like ghoulish, like uh, like scary goblin masks. And then there's a woman wearing a cat mask who at one point like sexually coerces him. And I, I was like, I don't even think about this. Like, I don't think this is, happens with this kind of stuff. But she's literally grabbing his junk and forcing him to have intercourse with her. And it's just awful to watch. I mean, the strobe lights effect. I mean, it's so vividly directed by McDonald. I mean, it's 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 discomforting to watch, and it's awful to talk about. And I can only imagine having to live through it. And that's what Muhammadu is doing. And the movie doesn't stack the deck. I mean, I think going in, you're pretty sure this guy's innocent. Why would you make a movie about a guilty guy who was involved with 9-11? But even knowing the truth, I didn't know what the ultimate outcome was going to be. I was not aware. I've not read Guantanamo Diary uh, his New York Times best-selling memoir, for all I know, the guy's going to die at the end. So you watch the movie saying, I'm pretty sure he's innocent. And all of a sudden, he's being beaten up and roughed up, and away we go. And Jodie Foster, 
little surprised she won the Golden Globe, I'll be honest. I mean, she's fine, but it's not a performance which is particularly noteworthy for me. I would love to see Maria Bakalova win for uh, Borat, obviously, or Jung Ho Jin for uh, Minari. But regardless, uh, it's just good to see Jodie Foster acting. Kind of like Joe's reaction to James Earl Jones. Just happy to see Jodie Foster in a movie. All white hair, no vanity. She's not dying her hair anymore. Uh, playing the lawyer who has a conscience, has a couple of you know nice moments where she's not... She's not particularly empathetic. Like, she's she's there to do her job, which means that she has a good heart. But she's not there to baby this guy. She's not going to hold his hand and hug him and caress him and fondle him. Everything's going to be okay. It's like, all right, I'm your lawyer. Tell me what you know. Write down everything. She keeps telling that. Write down everything. Don't just tell me. Write it down. Then I can take it to the appeals court. I can put together a case and whatever. And Shailene Woodley, who I had no idea is in the movie, playing her associate, is saying, listen, this guy may be guilty. He may have helped mastermind 9-11. He may be responsible for 3,000 people dead. And you're representing him? We are representing him? Like, what's wrong with us? And she said, we don't know if he's guilty or not. I have no idea. But everyone has a right to counsel. And that's where the story really picks up. And Benedict Cumberbatch, again, I had no idea he's in the movie. He's playing the district attorney who is in charge of prosecuting Slahi and has very strong orders to literally get this guy the chair, like give him the death penalty. We don't want him here. He's the guy that did this. And he slowly uncovers that maybe he was coerced into a confession, what's true, what isn't, so on and so forth. Barry Hertz of Globe and Mail. McDonald manages to come up with one of the most impressively brutal cut-to-black endings in recent memory. The rest of this feature cannot hope to match the power of its cast. Brian Lowry. The Mauritanian is a bit of a throwback, a solid old-fashioned piece of entertainment, but not a great movie. And David Fear of Rolling Stone. Rahim is supplying soul and some interesting shades of gray to this portraiture. He's giving you a person in the middle of what often feels like a broad prestige drama sketch. Some tough reviews there, but I'm going to give it three maple leaps. I thought it was powerfully rendered. It shows that no matter what your politics are, whether you like Obama or like Trump, the U.S. government has been responsible for absolute torture of some people who have been innocent. And I'm sure you, like me, are thinking, well, hey, what if the guy is guilty, though? Like, hey, you know what I mean? Like, the... We have to treat terrorists um, with the viciousness with which they deserve. But it comes down to what is humane, what is right. And that's why Guantanamo has been such a, a controversial subject. One of the most powerful shots in the movie, matter of fact, towards the last courtroom scene, the camera dollies up and it's just a huge uh, frame of Obama and Biden. And I thought it was a really smart shot by McDonald's. Like, hey, listen, I know we like to demonize the right, but hey, there's uh, presidents who are culpable on the left of uh, this kind of torture and extreme uh, brutality and have to... Um, have their comeuppance about it. So The Mauritanian, I think, is one of those movies that's uh, smart and dedicated, isn't particularly original, which is why I'm not going to get four Maple Leafs. We've seen other stories about a man wrongfully imprisoned, but I thought this was done in a very strong manner. Three Maple Leafs. Joe? The lead, it, it sounds like it would be very easy to vilify the main character in the story. And how did you get his sense of acting of, you know, not trusting someone and then finally an ally comes in to help him, but he's guarded behind that. And also, do you think his performance, we'll get into it later, but he was nominated for leading actor for the BAFTA Awards. Do you think that that performance qualifies? Yeah, he's kind of stealing the Delroy Lindo thunder because if you look at the nominees, you feel like we're fairly confident where it's going to go. Chadwick Boseman is going to win for best actor um, for... uh, Obviously, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. My man Riz Ahmed should win. He's going to get nominated for Sound of Metal. Anthony Hopkins for The Father, amazing. And Gary Oldman for Mank. You feel like those are your four nominations. So fighting for that fifth wheel spot are Delroy Lindo for Defy Bloods, Chewing the Scenery, great monologue. Or is it going to be Tahar Rahim? So I think he's he's got a good chance. The Golden Globe nomination helped. The BAFTA nomination helped. Uh, now it's going to be a matter of going down the wire. But in terms of your point about... 
uh, generating sympathy, what has to happen is there has to be some element of truth. Like no one gets arrested for doing nothing. So I thought what was interesting is that as these guys are berating him and interrogating him before the real violence happens, he does cop to once being trained with Al-Qaeda. And you're like, okay, as soon as you hear Al-Qaeda, I mean, your ears perk up. Like, well, you're one of the bad guys then. But as he's explaining, at that time, Al-Qaeda was one of the good guys. The U.S. government was helped funding them, and they were fighting the war against Afghanistan. And later, when they're asking him about a specific terrorist, and he's saying, well, listen, he stayed at my house one night, but that's it. They go, well, hang on a second. How do we know there wasn't more? So I, I thought the movie did a smart job of framing that. You don't just grab someone off the street and accuse them of being a terrorist. This guy had ties to Al-Qaeda. He did have a terrorist stay at his home. Um, and that's why they're being led to believe this stuff. But when the said terrorist lied and said that Slahi is the guy who masterminded it, then how do you disseminate the truth? And I thought that Rahim does an excellent job of showing a guy who's vigilant about pro professing his innocence and never quite loses hope, but eventually starts to realize, I might just die in here because I don't know how this is going to turn around for me until that lawyer shows up and Jodie Foster and he finally starts to see a bit of a glimmer of truth. But it's not like she comes in riding the, you know, she's not riding the white horse and all of a sudden she's the knight in shining armor. There's still much to go through in terms of loopholes, legalities, etc. So, and, and the postscript to the movie, which I will not give away, is also devastating. You think the movie's going a certain direction, you find out what actually happened, you go, oh my God. So there's definitely, uh, definitely lots to chew on there. I would recommend it for you, Joe. I think at some point you'd enjoy it. I will definitely check it out. My last question is Benedict Cumberbatch, his accent, yay or nay? Yeah, I did not know he was in the movie, first of all, and then B, coming with a southern accent, which I actually thought I'm going to go with a yay. Southern accent sometimes can be a little uh, overdone, the southern drawl. I, I thought he was all right in times to uh, protect his client, but I thought he did an excellent job of showing that this type of remorse uh, should be there, and this type of rancor and vigilance cannot be tolerated by the U.S. military, sir. So I thought he actually did a commendable job. Please do the rest of the show with that accent add in. <laughs> Joe, I cannot promise to do that. I, I may at times <laughs> I may at times slip into a slight southern drawl, but I cannot possibly nice. do that for an entire show. Uh, next <laughs> up, the United States versus Billie Holiday. The legendary Billie Holiday, one of the greatest jazz musicians of all time. Spent much of her career being adored by fans across the globe, all while the Federal Department of Narcotics targeted her with an undercover sting operation led by black federal agent Jimmy Fletcher, with whom she made a tumultuous affair. Inspired by her life story, The United States vs. Billie Holiday, which is on Hulu, intimately examines her struggles with addiction, fame, and heartbreaking love. If I had to give the movie a review, I'm going to give it two and a half Maple Leafs. If I had to give the performance a ranking, I'd give it four Maple Leafs. Andre Day is quite simply smashing as Billie Holiday. I, I, I have not double-checked. I'm going to assume she did all the vocals because I, I don't know how else you could really mimic it. I mean... You've had notable examples, uh, Jimmy Fox lip-syncing, etc. But I think the best performance are the ones where the actors actually try to sing the music. Joaquin Phoenix, Johnny Cash, Walk the Line. And Andre Day is able to get those smoky, husky vocals of Billie Holiday. Like, always seemingly in pain and anguish. Like, you never really have a lot of songs that are upbeat. Like, Judy Garland has some upbeat music. You know, I have the soundtrack, which was sent to me. Renee Zellweger wins an Academy Award. But with Andre Day and Billie Holiday, Billie Holiday was always just seemingly singing in pain. And her most painful song is Strange Fruit, which is widely regarded one of the greatest songs of all time because it's about lynchings. And that's where the movie focuses on. Every time she's saying Strange Fruit, the local government officials object and say, no, you can't sing that song. Well, why not? It's about the lynching of black people, and I'm going to sing it. And she does it in such a really soulful manner. But that's the controversy. They want her to stop singing that song because it's drawing attention to what's happening in the world, in the country, which is wrong. And of course, she's saying, I'm going to willing to speak up against oppression and sadness. 
and the government wants to stop her. So they want to build a case against her. Well, you can't arrest somebody for singing a song about lynching. So what can you do? You can get her on drug possession. You can get this black agent to coerce her, get in bed with her, find out what he can, et cetera. And that's what the story picks up. So you've got twin stories here. One is just a Billie Holiday biopic, which features some amazing songs. I don't necessarily agree with where they catalog them, but her passion comes through. And her performance, like I said, it is one of those big, ballsy, swaggering performances. I mean, she does a bunch of nude scenes in there. She's crashed. She's smoking cigarettes. She's drinking. She's having fits, rages, drugs, withdrawal. I mean, it is one of those performances. If you're an actor who is drawn to excess, who just wants to let it all hang out, like I'm sure Andre Day was reading the script going, I cannot wait to play Billie Holiday. And with a director like Lee Daniels, who made Precious, which is one of my favorite movies of that year. I've never seen it again, by the way. It is just a brutal movie to watch. But I think it's incredibly powerful. Lee Daniels is the kind of director that will let the actors sing. The Butler, also a surprisingly good movie with Forrest Whitaker. The downside of Lee Daniels is, much like he likes these outsized, excessive characters, the movie follows suit as well. And that's why I can't see the movie as a great movie. It's too messy. It's too all over the place. It doesn't have a, a strong narrative thread what story are you trying to tell? The government and their evil, uh, banal cruelty? Is it a Billie Holiday biopic? Is it about jazz musicians being drawn to drugs? Is it about black people and their struggles in the 60s? Is it about the dilemma of an undercover agent like Donnie Brasco, this character Jimmy Fletcher who's torn between the FBI and also bringing in Billie Holiday? It's a lot of those things and at times when you're trying to throw everything and the kitchen sink at the wall, not all of it sticks. So if you're a Billie Holiday fan, you should watch it. If you like the, her music, you should watch it. If you want to see a great performance, you should see it. There's a reason Andre Day won the, Academy, the Golden Globe for Best Actress. But if you want to see a strong narrative film that's tight and focused, then I can't in good conscience recommend this movie. Moira McDonald of Seattle Times, The United States versus Billie Holiday isn't quite worthy of the performance at its core. Sarah Ty Black of Globe and Mail, Toronto Paper. It's a film that punishes its main character. And rather than watching her live... Forget celebrating her life in its wholeness. Waits, perhaps almost hopes for her to finally die, having finally endured too much. I mean, you wonder why some of these musicians that era did drugs. I mean, the pain that Billie Holiday went through, uh, just abuse and ugh, it's just awful. Her life was just feeling, like I said, filled with pain. And that pain came out in her music. K. Austin Collins of Rolling Stone, Billie Holiday, Andre Day's impressive, an unexpected lo-fi approach, the role notwithstanding is missing. Billie Holiday, a brutally thin sketch of the woman is all the movie is prepared to give us. I'm going to give it two and a half Maple Leafs. Joe? If they're trying to fit all of these different stories from her life into the into the film, how did the, how did that affect the pace? Did it feel too long at times or just too much or too muddled? Yeah, it just felt muddled, a little bit unwieldy. Like I thought the first 45 minutes to an hour were strong and then it just became unfocused. And it was literally going in different directions. And it's almost like being on a boat. And you kind of just, you can literally feel it being wobbly. And you're wondering, how can we get this baby to shore? That's what it felt like watching the United States versus Billie Holiday. So definitely some good moments. And her performance is certainly notable. But as a film overall, I can't, uh, I can't unequivocally recommend it. Next week, we'll talk about Allen versus Farrow. Plus, the Academy Award nominations are coming out on Monday. But after the break, we recap the Critic Choice Awards, preview the SAG Awards, review the 2021 BAFTA nominations, and our picks, the Mount Rushmore of Jodie Foster Rules.
Well, the Golden Globes, just a disaster. I mean, at 68% ratings were down. A steady decline continues. Only 6.9 million people watch it. That's the least watched ceremony since the 2008 show, which was held as a press conference after the fallout of the writer's strike. So the SAGs go, okay, you know what? We're going to fix this. This is awful. April 4th, they've been postponed after multiple delays and now entirely pre-taped. And now only one hour. Hour. I mean, that's awful. I, I'm actually, I don't necessarily, I'm not, I'm not enraged by the pre-tape, but one hour. Brutal. No host. Not even a physical set. Uh, a mixture of scripted comedy segments. And my favorite part is always the I'm an actor speeches. Those will be there. All shot, edited prior to the broadcast. But definitely going to have a different feel to this one. No question about it. And while disclosing the results prior to the telecast leaves the SAGs vulnerable to leaks, executive producer Kathy Connell explained the organizers hope nominees respect the show enough and everybody does and their fellow actors. They don't want to disappoint the audiences at home by letting any surprises go. Think about that. Let's say they tape this at four and Viola Davis wins Best Actress and you know she sends out a picture of her winning the award. Oh, the awards don't air until nine o'clock. Oh, I guess Viola Davis won Best Actress. I guess we'll, uh, we'll have to see how that goes. The winner for each of the 13 categories will be revealed days before the show. How about that? It's not even the day of. Days before, nominees will sign into various Zoom breakout rooms where the victor will be announced and deliver an acceptance speech. I mean, it's just going to be strange. We know that. I hope that Minari does well. The SAG nominations honoring a bunch of movies that were snubbed by the Globes. Aaron Sorkin's The Trial of Chicago 7. Entirely new slate of films. Marvin's Black Bottom. Defy Bloods. Ignored by the Globes. Minari. Love it. And One Night Miami. Those are the movies that are competing for the equivalent of Best Actor. Uh, best, uh, excuse me, Best Picture. That's the top prize. Outstanding performance by an ensemble. So I'm hoping it's Minari. One Night Miami. Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Defy Bloods. I could see it being The Trial of Chicago 7. A lot of actors... The SAGs is obviously the Screen Actors Guild, so I can see that being a real actorly type movie. On the television side, it's got to be The Crown. The Crown is enough of The Crown. As I said before, I want The Batting Crown, that's it. The Crown and Schitt's Creek dominating the drama and comedy categories. Uh, maybe Ted Lasso shows up again. 27th Annual SAG Awards now airing on TNT and TBS Sunday, April 4th. Normally it's from 8 to 10, this time 9 o'clock Eastern. Joe, your thoughts on the pre-tape? I'm curious about the leaks. We'll we'll see. I think everyone should be good about it, but like you said, days in advance, things get out. So I'm just curious who's going to be the one to leak one of the awards. Yeah, like I said, hopefully things are okay. But uh, listen, human nature, we get it. This is how things happen. Um, other news: HFPA community making transformational reforms. They were getting blasted by everybody. Just the fact there's literally no minorities in the Hollywood foreign press. They promised big time changes. Um, LA Times recently reported the organization declined to hire a diversity consultant when the matter was raised after last year's Black Lives Matter protests. NBC has been under pressure to push the HFPA to more significant steps. Um, so we'll see what happens as far as trying to finally get some more people of color in the Hollywood foreign press. Craig's Choice Awards on Sunday, either you were watching the NBA All-Star Game or more than likely watching Oprah interview the Royals. Uh, I was working NHL Network, and when I came home, I watched the Critics' Choice Awards. So I got no leaks from anybody. I was able to record that from 7 to 10 on the, the CW, hosted by Tay Diggs again. Mank and Minari leading the nominations 12 and 10 apiece. Your Best Picture winner, Nomadland. It's going to win the Oscar for Best Picture, and Chloe Jaws also going to win the Oscar for Best Director. She wins a Critics' Choice Award. Best Actor. I was pushing hard for Riz Ahmed. No chance. Are you kidding? Chadwick Boseman got this locked up. The one thing with the Craig's Choice Awards, a lot of nominees. 
So Best Actor was actually, listen to this, Ben Affleck, The Way Back, Riz for Sound of Metal, Chadwick for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Tom Hanks, News of the World, Anthony Hopkins, The Father, Delroy Lindo, Defy Bloods, Gary Oldman for Mank, and Stephen Yun for Minari. You're like, hang on a second. The Oscars only does five nominees. The Critics' Choice Awards, eight nominees for Best Actor. And that's not including Tahar Rahim, who's up for the Golden Globe, and as we mentioned, the BAFTA. So... It'll be a crowded race for that fifth spot. Wouldn't mind seeing Stephen Young get some love there from Minari. He was awesome in that film. Best Actress, Carrie Mulligan, Promising Young Woman. So this is a surprise now. Frances McDormand, I thought, was a frontrunner. She did not win the Golden Globe, did not win the Critics' Choice Award. Maybe Carrie Mulligan can pull this off and win an Academy Award for a movie that is obviously very flashy and very timely. Best Supporting Actor now feels like we're going in the direction, which I did not want. I wanted Leslie Odom Jr. to win for One Night Miami playing Sam Cooke. I want Paul Racy to get nominated for Sound of Metal. He's on the outside looking in. Instead, we can all accept the fact the winner is going to be Daniel Kaluuya, Judas and the Black Messiah, which in fairness is a ferocious performance. Love the Best Supporting Actress win. Maria Bakalova, yes, for Borat's subsequent movie film. Huge upset over Amanda Seyfried for Mank, Olivia Colman, The Father, Glenn Close, wretched, wretched movie, Hillbilly Elegy, Ellen Burstyn, who I love for Pieces of a Woman, and Yu Jung Yun for Minari. Would love to see her win too, but it is Bakalova that wins. Best Acting Ensemble, no surprise, Trial of the Chicago 7. Mark Simon's bumped. Best Original Screenplay, Promising Young Woman, Sam Service is bumped. Best Adapted Screenplay, Nomadland wins. How about Chloe Zhao? That's big. She beat out to First Cow, which is a tough one. Best Production Design, Mank finally wins something. Best Cinematography, Nomadland, that felt right. Costume Design, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Best Young Actor. I love this category. Best Young Actor slash Actress. And this was the best speech of the night. None of you watch the Critics' Choice Awards, but go back and watch Alan Kim's speech. He is so cute. He's so adorable. I think he's like 10 years old. He plays a little boy, Minari. He starts crying in his speech. It was literally the best speech I've seen of this award season. Go watch Alan Kim for Minari winning Best Young Actor Actress. What a cute kid. Uh, best Editing. I was thrilled to see Sound of Metal. Finally, let's go. Get on the board. Tied with Trial of Chicago 7. Critics' Choice Awards, they love their ties. Hair and makeup, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Visual effects, finally, Tenet wins something. The best score. This is good news. The Golden Globes and the Critics' Choice Awards giving love to Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross and John Batiste for Soul. Foreign language film, Minari. It's ridiculous because it's actually, even though it's in a foreign language, it's an American way, but whatever, we'll get to that another time. Best comedy. Hoping for Bora, and I would have been happy with the winner. And the winner was Palm Springs, also on my top 10 of the year. To television we go, okay, it's just a lot of The Crown. I can't even tell you much of The Crown. The Crown's best drama series, best actor. I really want Odenkirk to win. He gets robbed. Uh, actress in a drama series, yep, The Crown. Supporting actor. Uh, Michael K. Williams for Lovecraft Country. Was hoping Jonathan Banks better call Saul. That didn't happen. Supporting actress, you guessed it, The Crown. Gillian Anderson. Uh, Ted Lasso wins Best Comedy Series. Rick Passmore is fired up. Shout out to my buddy Ricky sending me a copy of Loveless and a Godfather picture, which is absolutely amazing. Frame picture. You're the best, Passmore. You and Stan's just loving Ted Lasso. Sudeikis also wins for Best Actor. Again, was hoping for Rami Youssef or Hank Azaria to win for Brockmar. That would have been nice. Instead, Best Actress, we love it. Catherine O'Hara, great Canadian for Best Actress. Uh, no surprise, Supporting Actor, Comedy Series, Canadian, Daniel Levy, Schitt's Creek, Ted Lasso winning Supporting Actress in a Comedy Series. So Lasso coming up big. Hannah Waddingham, the winner there. Limited Series, Queen's Gambit, TV movie Hamilton, actor in a limited series or TV movie. Was hoping it'd be Ruffalo for I Know This Much Is True or Hugh Grant for The Undoing. No, John Boyega coming up big for Small Axe and Best Actress in a Limited TV Series or Movie. Of course, Anya Taylor-Joy for The Queen's Gambit. 
Supporting actor limited series or TV movie was thrilled about this one. Donald Sutherland wins. 81-year-old Canadian for The Undoing. Supporting actress in a limited series or TV movie, Uzo Aduba for Mrs. America. Best talk show, Stunner. Absolute stunner. Late night with Seth Meyers wins. I thought Colbert would win for sure in a round. Instead, Seth Meyers finally wins something. The Critics' Choice Award. Uh, comedy special. Hoping for uh, Mark Maron or Patton Oswalt. It's got to be Seinfeld, of course. Seinfeld won, but it was a tie. He actually tied with Michelle Buteau as well. And the Best Short Form Series wraps it all up. Those are your results from the Critics' Choice Awards. Joe, you're shocked that I watched these and even more amazed that Tay Diggs is the host. <laughs> yes, yes, def- definitely. I'm I'm happy for Maria Bakalova to win Supporting Actress. Jodie Foster winning the Golden Globe, not even nominated for a Critics' Choice Award. And uh, I finally watched Palm Springs over the weekend, Adnan. I would have given it to Borat still, but I'm perfectly fine with Palm Springs. I thought that that was a wonderful cute movie the cast was great the writing was great the pace of it was great and i mean yeah john boy yeager coming in with small x edging uh, mark ruffalo who's just been tearing it up this award season so that's interesting to see as well yeah but if a surprise there because ruffalo has been just a juggernaut winning everything bafta film award nominees were announced uh remember we got the old bafta so white controversies how do we do well best film the father the mauritanian nomadland promising woman and the trial of the chicago seven Huge is a Mauritanian did great. It's up for best picture and adapted screenplay and leading actor um, and leading actress. Uh, sorry, excuse me, supporting actress. I believe Jodie Foster is nominated. So it's always a little tricky with the BAFTAs. They go in a different direction. Excuse me. Jodie Foster is not nominated for best supporting actress, the Mauritanian. So interesting that they recognize the film for best picture and best screenplay and lead actor to Rahim. But Jodie Foster snubbed by the BAFTAs. Uh, those are the ones of the best film. I'll give you best director. And this is where it gets tricky because you go, wow, this is so much more different than the Globes or anywhere else. Thomas Vinterberg for another round, which I can't wait to see. That's a favorite to win for best foreign film. Uh, Shannon Murphy, Lee Isaac Chung, love that one. Minari, Chloe Zhao, No My Land, she's going to win. Jasmila Zabanich, never even heard of this. Kovadis Aida, and Sarah Gavron for Rocks. Like, think about that. Of the Oscars, you're looking at Chloe Zhao for sure, maybe Lee Isaac Chung. Of those six nominees, maybe two of those six will be up for Best Director at the Academy Awards. That is my humble prediction. Adapted Screenplay, you're looking at The Dig, The Father, The Mauritanian, Nomadland, White Tiger. So, Leading Actress, Frances McDormand, Nomadland, maybe Vanessa Kirby, Pieces of a Woman. Alfre Woodard for Clemency. Clemency came out last year, at least here in America. So the BAFTAs, it's, it's really tough to draw a correlation between how they will do. But the big takeaway is this. Yes, Promising a Woman is recognized. The Trial of the Chicago 7. Uh, you know, Nomadland, The Father, so on. But like, for example, Best Actress, Carrie Mulligan is not up for Best Actress, even though the film is recognized. Uh, original Screenplay, Promising a Woman is recognized. Uh, as far as Best Actor is concerned, again, here's a good example. So Riz Ahmed, yes. Sound of Metal, British guy, beautiful. Chadwick Boseman, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Anthony Hopkins, The Father. So those three nominees, you can feel confident they're going to get on for the Oscar. Now, Tahar Rahim, maybe. Mads Mikkelsen, another round. Again, probably going to win for foreign film. Apparently, he's awesome. That's not, he's not going to get nominated for Best Actor at the Academy Awards. And Adarsh Gurov for The White Tiger is not going to get nominated for Best Actor. So definitely some differentiation here. But the good news is Maria Bakalova is up for Supporting Actress. Yoo Jung-yoon is up for Minari. That's all I need to see here, okay? Those two I'm happy about. Bit of a surprise, Dominique Fishback for Judas and the Black Messiah. What also makes me happy? Supporting actor. Paul Racy does get nominated for Sound of Metal. Amazing. Leslie Odom Jr., I want him to win for One Night Miami. And Alan Kim, who I told you, gave the best speech I've seen this year. He's up for Minari. Nine-year-old kid, he's awesome. 
and the winner is probably going to be Daniel Kaluuya for Judas and the Black Messiah. So that's my uh, cursory look at the BAFTA Awards. Uh, Joe, your thoughts on the BAFTAs? You're right. The, the, the differences and the contrast between the BAFTAs and the Oscars and all the other awards to this point are, are big. And original screenplay, this, this is a more appropriate category the way that they have it for Minari, a film not in English versus a foreign language film. Um, if Riz Ahmed does have a chance, this is going to be the awards for him to win Best Actor. That's a great point. British actor, he's got rave reviews. I mean, he's getting nominated for everything. Bozeman's going to win, but you're right. If ever he was going to win, you'd think this is the hometown favorite, right? British, uh, the British Oscars, so to speak. You're right. That's a good call. Riz, if he's got a chance of winning anything, this would be the one. He did win the Gotham Awards, I should mention. That's the Independent Spirit Awards. So he did, not the Independent Spirit Awards, excuse me. The Gotham Awards, it does recognize independent movies. He won Best Actor there. The actual uh, Independent Spirit Awards are coming up a little bit later on. But you're right, good call. If Riz is going to win anything, he's going to win there. But how about like Gary Oldman's not even nominated for Best Actor? I mean, that, Gary Oldman's a British actor, but again, American movies, so the BAFTA's always tricky. Aren't you surprised if I told you Gary Oldman is not nominated for a BAFTA, yet he's up for a Golden Globe, potentially an Oscar? That's it's crazy to me. Oh, yeah, especially just the, every, it seems like every role that he's done in the last five years has been nominated. And for him to get, uh, I guess, snubbed in this category, you're, you're right. It's, it's shocking that he wasn't nominated for, for Best Actor. Yeah, that's my biggest surprise there. No nomination there for Gary Oldman. But you're right. He didn't win an Oscar forever. Then all of a sudden he wins. He gets nominated for Tinker, Taylor, Soldier, Spy. He wins for Darkest Hour. And now all of a sudden the Academy and all these award bodies love him. BAFTA Awards will be announced on Sunday, April 11th. Uh, those are the big takeaways. Again, hugely eclectic list of nominations. 50 different films nominated. That's up from a previous high of 39. So that is shocking just how much more different this is. Uh, Nomadland, again, is the favorite, but there's a movie from Sarah Gavron that's about a group of inner-city London schoolgirls. That got seven nominations. That's that movie, Rocks, The Father, Mank, Mauritanian, Promising Young Woman, also getting recognized as well. So BAFTAs once again on April 11th. That is all your entertainment news. No guests this week. Now it's time for a little Mount Rushmore. Mount Rushmore. All right, time now for the Mount Rushmore of Jodie Foster movies. She's getting the uh, royal treatment this week because of her performance in the Mauritanian, for which she won a Golden Globe. Kick it off with Silence of the Lambs, absolute no-brainer, just like we have for Anthony Hopkins. We do so for Jodie Foster. Incredible performance as Clarice Starling. She shows her trepidation, her nervousness, uh, just her sheepishness at times, but then she grows in this tough, hard-edged FBI agent who is willing to finally capture... Uh, her predecessor, or soon her predecessor, her prey in Buffalo Bill. So it's a, a compelling performance from Jodie Foster from start to finish. I also got to go with Taxi Driver. She's 14 years old, playing a 12-year-old prostitute as Iris in Taxi Driver. She was nominated for Best Supporting Actress. She has spoken often glowingly about Scorsese and De Niro, just how much they taught her about acting, how kind they were to her on the set. That is a tough, tough movie, and she gives an incredible performance. I can't imagine any other young actress having that precocious attitude and the wherewithal to play. Like I said, a 12-year-old prostitute who's owned by this pimp in Harvey Keitel, and Jodie Foster creates this character who is uh, wide-eyed and wise beyond her years, mature, 
funny. The scene where she's having breakfast with Travis, putting all the sugar on the on the uh, pancakes and toast. She actually got that from a real life prostitute, the girl who was actually based on it, who was like you know 16 years old. It's just disturbing, but it is a, a great, great performance. Uh, those are two so far. I can't give any love to Nell. I mean, she's just so annoying in that movie. The way she's talking. I mean, you see the trailers alone. You go, I can't take Nell. Uh, honest confession: The Accused, when she plays a rape victim, for which she won an Academy Award, I've never seen. She went back-to-back, back, not quite back-to-back, back, but close enough. 88 for The Accused, 91 for Silence of the Lambs. So The Accused would probably be on the Mount Rushmore Jodie Foster movies, but I'm being honest, I have not seen the film, although I've often heard rave reviews about it. Uh, here's where it gets tricky. I kind of want to give Contact a little bit of love here, but I'm going to go with Inside Man. Why not? Madeline White, great cast, doesn't get enough love as far as Spike Lee's movies are concerned. You got Denzel Washington, you got Clive Owen, you got Jodie Foster. Strong cast all around, good movie and a good performance. I kind of wanted to go with Contact, playing Dr. Eleanor Arroway. It certainly got homages uh, to 2001, but I'll go with Panic Room. David Fincher, strongly directed, definitely some uh, wonderful scenes in that film. And I thought that she was able to show that she could play a woman who was not quite unhinged, but battling some uh, evil forces that need defeating. So how's that for an eclectic Jodie Foster, Mount Rushmore? The Silence of the Lambs, Taxi Driver, Inside Man, and Panic Room. Shout out to Contact and uh, shout out to Nell. Joe? Adnan, your list and my list are so similar this week because I have Taxi Driver. I think that that's a must for Jodie Foster films. I have Panic Room, David Fincher, everything you just said, and I have Silence of the Lambs. Nice. My fourth is going to be a movie that you raved about to me early on when we started doing Cinephile, uh, and that's Bugsy Malone. So I'm going to do Bugsy Malone as my fourth movie, a movie that I don't think could get made today but she's really effortless in her performance in that movie so my four are taxi driver bugsy malone silence of the lambs and panic room yeah going off the radar the bugsy malone i love the fact i mean listen think about that movie in a 1976 film in which you've got a spoof of gangster movies made up by kids i mean you've got children singing and dancing in prohibition era sets they're using toy guns and whipped cream for machine guns and bullets directed by alan parker what a concept for movie her and scott Bayo who's lost his mind now. But, I mean, Bugsy Malone, Joe, you're going off the radar there. I like it. Yeah, no, and again, like, who would have thought to put together a weird gangster musical comedy with kids? You know what I mean? It's so divisive, uh, but I I loved it. After You were the one who first told me about it, so I checked it out after that. So I'll put it on the list. I love it. Bugsy Malone. Remember, she was in The Beaver as well. She directed with Mel Gibson. I've never seen The Beaver. I know she did direct Little Man Tate. I'm sure there are people out there who have uh, a fondness for period dramas. They're going to mention her performances. Laurel Summersby. But these are the films that we are going with, the Mount Rushmore of Jodie Foster. Thanks, as always, for checking out Cinephile. Please go to Apple Podcasts, where you can subscribe, rate, and review. Special day and time next week. We're going to be coming to you on Monday. We're recording on Monday after the Academy Award nominations are announced. We've got Ben Zosmer, who is the expert when it comes to Oscars. He's going to join us. So everything Oscar that you need to know, plus a review of all four episodes of Pharaoh versus Allen, a very strong documentary on HBO showing the hideousness of Woody Allen. And I'm not going to give a formal review, but I hope you're all enjoying Stanley Tucci searching for Italy. So far, he's been to Rome, he's been to Bologna, Napoli, uh, went to Lombardy, was checking out Milan, the Milanese food. I mean, just phenomenal. Italy's split into two places. Uh, the north, no pasta. The north, because it's a lot more rain, that's where you're getting a lot of risotto. 
The south, of course, the great pastas that we're also familiar with. Rome's got the four different pastas. I mean, the spaghetti carbonara, forget about it. I'm a Matriachiana. Best pizza, you got to go to Naples. Napoli, unbelievable pizza. You go there and the Amalfi Coast, forget about it. Milan, fashion, money, and the risotto. Plus this cheese, which just looks out of this world. Anyways, that's not a movie, it's a TV show, but hopefully uh, you can support Stanley 2G. We love and Joe saw Big Night and paid $2.99 for it. So support 2G, support Cinephile. We'll see you at the movies. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.